Hey, it's Daniel. Welcome to episode two of this season of A Positive Jam. I just wanted to call out that our main host, Sean Westfall, sounds like this. Hello, everyone. And our fellow co-host, Mike Taylor, sounds like this. Cows, bugs. All right, Cattle and the Creeping Things is a big track, so let's just jump into it. But first, in light of what happened last week, we have a special message we want to share. I'm recording this statement or whatever you want to call it, on January 10th, 2021. The events of the past week in the United States Capitol, which is where I live, have inspired me or aroused in me the belief that I need to say something to our dozens to hundreds of listeners that this podcast is thoroughly opposed to any sort of coup or fascist takeover of the United States government by Donald Trump or anyone who believes anything similar to what that vile piece of shit espouses. And I just want to make clear to anyone hearing this that if you support Donald Trump, we vehemently oppose you and you should go fuck yourself. That's it. So thanks. I just wanted to get that out of the way before we move on to discuss rock and roll. I co-signed that statement and have had to more or less express that statement to family members in the recent weeks. So I think Craig Finn would uh, want us to say his prayer for St. Joe Strummer. And I think that Joe Strummer would, if we take our guidance from St. Joe, we'd know what to do, which is put on our docks. Don't let the fascists take the streets. Yeah. Co-sign. Yeah. So if you're in the D.C. area and want to connect over that kind of thing, you know, reach out to me and reach out to the podcast. We can talk about how to do that. Okay. That's all. They got to the part with the cattle and the creeping things. Said I'm pretty sure we heard this Hello, everyone. Episode two, season two of A Positive Jam. We're focusing uh, this season on the sophomore album of the hold steady is separation sunday and we're digging a deep dive into track to cattle and the creeping things any sort of high level thoughts you guys have initially about this song before we don the submarine mass and go into the mariana trench of the song yeah yes i was texting with daniel a little bit earlier about something that's sort of musically interesting about this song or that jumped out at me while i was preparing And that's the alternation between the very staccato bump, 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 bump of the the verses. I don't know if they're verses or not. The A parts is what I'll call them. And a a big rhythmic shift that happens in the B parts, which is the parts where. There's a big shift there musically. Daniel said that it might be they might be changing to halftime. So it kind of slows down or the rhythm just gets a little bit different. It's a little easier to get lost there. The drum is doing a lot of sort of fills and syncopated sounding type of stuff. And it contrasts really sharply with the A parts, which are just this really steady drum beat. And I think That's just interesting sort of parallel with the way the lyrical content goes. 
the song starts out and they're in some kind of Bible school or Bible study recovery program, seemingly. And that's the part that's got this steady drum beat. And then we zoom out and we get some exposition on the characters, like where they came from or what they were doing before in maybe a more lawless period of their lives. And that's when the trumpets come in, when the drums sort of just start going nuts. And there's this sort of swirling effect in the music that's very contrasting with the sort of regimented feel of the A parts of the song. So to me, that jumped out. It actually reminded me a little bit of the Queens of the Stone Age song, No One Knows, which Mm -hmm. has a very bump, 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 bump. And then during the sort of B parts of that song, again, Dave Grohl's drums are going absolutely nuts. And you just are kind of in this tidal wave feeling. And then you come back up to the surface and you're back in the bump, 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 bump thing. So I think I don't really think of the whole study typically as having a lot of really rhythmically challenging aspects to their music. But I found in this one, I thought, I think Queens of the Stone Age, if you're drawing a parallel with No One Knows, which is a very, very tight, well executed song, I just think that there's something to. Cattle, I think maybe that's partly why it's one of people's favorite songs is because it has this exhilarating switch between the very steady and the very unhinged, unmoored sort of feeling. And also with the trumpets uplifting at the same time. So you kind of, I think that back and forth is a really important aspect of the song. Cool. Dan? We did, before last season, Mike hosted a six song or seven song i think we had in the end playlist starter kit for the whole steady and this wasn't on it and i think that was right but i think this is the song that when you get to this level it's like you're at you've reached the peak of the whole steady i think it's a little bit it's not as hooky or as easy to sing along with but it's to me the pinnacle of what they do and i think Explain that. Tell me why you think that. Well, I just think there's so much. Mike's already tipped his hand on some of the musical stuff, and I think there's more musical stuff going on, right? Because we always start with Craig, but I think there's more musical. This is the most sinister sound that they deliver, I think. They have some punkier songs. They have, we talked last season about the bonus track, Hot Fries, which was nastier, but this is like sinister and just. They have a descending baseline effect that is very, the kinks love to do that. Ray Davies, that was Sunny Afternoon. That was like one of his big things. And they just drop that right at the beginning. Blank Generation follows the same progression. And One More Cup of Coffee, Bob Dylan also, which oh, is yeah. another very sinister sounding song, has oh, the same God, chords. Yeah. Good, yeah. good choice. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just it's there's that from the harmonics and you have just these little I love bands that and you can't say this about Almost Killed Me. You don't hear so many like of these little musical flourishes that just add depth. There's things one that I don't think you can like peg to a meaning, but the piano at the first verse is playing or the first a part 
it, it's like playing that descending line, but then it keeps changing. And so by the end, when you get to the silly rabbit, it's a higher tone and it just all of a sudden pops out in the thing. The different tones that Franz is delivering specifically in terms of the, there's a sinister organ sound coming out of the haunted house organ after the only guitar section in the bridge, like where Craig brings it all the way back down. I think it's where he says, I got through the part about the exit, Exodus, and it's just, or no, it seemed like a simple place to score. And it's just like, just the guitar and fr- Craig's voice, Fred's voice, echoing in the mix. <laughs> and then you all of a sudden have that haunted house organ. Earlier, he has more of a vibraphone organ. And I'll I'll save one of the echoes they do with the lyrics. But there's just these really nice touches that I think accentuate the lyrics. And then the lyrics, again, are just really sharp, both in terms of intertextuality with the whole Steady's work with the sorts of references they make you still have the pop culture whether it's Mackenzie phillips or the tricks line silly rabbit but then the bible is here throughout we get another ebor city there's just yeah i mean i'll stop there because we're just at the top but there's just so much to this track that i think and again it's just an awesome song like it just i think there's a force to it and mike called out one reason for it there's just so much the orchestration the harmonics the rhythm the drive that i think it's really yeah i just think it's really everything that you want from the whole steady except maybe the sing-along chorus fun stuff but i that's not my favorite aspect of the whole steady yeah you know it's i i think that this song I, I always bumped up against this song. And I think one of the reasons I bumped up against it, at least early in my career as a fan of the Hold Steady, was that there just, there just seemed to be way too much going on lyrically. You couldn't draw a bead on who was saying what or who was saying when or who, you know, or, or what was going on. And then I, be, I step back and I start thinking about how this song functions rhetorically. And I'm gonna I'm gonna use a high-minded word like rhetoric. This song is there to make it clear that this is a concept album meaning that the opening track you could see that being covered by another singer or another band in some way i mean certainly the 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 reference to adina high might be you know problematic might have to find a workaround to sort of play around with that but no to me the, the mark of a great songwriter is how frequently his or her songs are covered by other artists there's no way anyone's going to cover Cattle and the Creeping Things because there's just, it's too inside baseball. And it made me, and I kept wondering why I kept resisting this song for so long. And then, I, and then I, I finally figured it out that it's there to let you know that you are in the whole steady milieu, that you are in this A there, and B, that you're in chapter two of what's going to be a narrative, a concept album. So I guess that's that's one one of the those are my that, I'm just being candid that like I would listen to it but in most cases when I was going on a hold steady kick I would skip past the song because it just didn't oh, no. stand oh I, no I know I know oh no I, know. <laughs> I, I please get get me up on that cross because I like the view <laughs> it just didn't it didn't function as a standalone song the way other songs in the hold steady canon can function 
And I think that, that there's there's a, there's at least one or two other songs on this album that have to function that way as well to sort of connect the threads that are picked up in, in the other songs. So those are my initial top line opening salvos. Please make of those what you will. Wow. So, yeah. Not that good, Sean says. <laughs> that's that's, no, that's, that's not the clickbait. That. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the clickbait headline on this, right? Not that well, maybe like not that accessible. And Daniel also Precisely. mentioned it. he he thought right. it wasn't didn't belong in the whole study starter playlist that we did before, and and I left it out. So I think we're all kind of in agreement that it's not the most accessible song in the catalog. I'm with Daniel though that I think it has a lot to offer. I'm also with you, Sean, in the sense that. You said you bump up against it. I think it's a bump up against song. It sounds more abrasive and herky jerky. And it's very, a lot of people like a lot of Craig's Finn's lyrical delivery when it's a little bit less caustic. He's really shouting on this one, which is, I personally am drawn to that. I think that some of his best performances are more caustic sounding, but it's another layer you have to get through if you're kind of working your way into the catalog. But I think it's a lot of fans favorite, I think. Yeah. So I don't know. And well, you mentioned that it's like, it's lyrically dense or challenging maybe Sean, yeah. did you feel, do you feel that way? Why do you say that? Well, the, the way the pronouns switch around and again, I, I understand the necessity of doing that, of sort of opening up this narrative to multi-voices, right? M- multiple voices. And, you know, Craig Fitt is notorious and wonderfully notorious for doing that, for using pronouns and points of view inside. I mean, one way to, to sort of read this album is a series of viewpoints that are not limited to, but also include Holly's viewpoints. Like everyone has a different take on Holly including Holly. We hear her voice as well. So, but I I just, it's hard for me to draw a bead on who's talking. And again, this is something that shouldn't normally confuse me because I'm normally not confused by it, but, but this, this, and, or maybe this song is foreshadowing the way the rest of the album is going to operate, which is multi-voiced, multiple viewpoints occurring within the same song. Dylan did this cover of Tangled Up in Blue off the Real Live album. And if you, the original version of, of Tangles Up in Blue, the pronouns are all third person, right? He, he started in to dealing with slaves and something inside of him died. On the real live version, he starts using, in one of the verses, he switches around, he uses the pronoun I. And I stopped in for a drink. I just kept looking at her face so white, I didn't know what to think. Later on, when the crowd thinned out, I was getting ready to leave. She was standing there right beside my chair, said, what's that? And of course, that's to make it, what he does when he does that is open it up to not, it wasn't just the story about this displaced couple or this displaced individual going through these travails. It's what we were going through together. I was going through it. He was going through it. So I like that sort of impulse where there's an I, there's a he, there's a she. There's. It's almost as if he's saying, this is what we all did as a generation. This is what we all did at this time, at this point in time, at this place, in this space. So I can see that. But I still sort of get, there's just a lot. There's all of the biblical imagery compels me. And I just, I just love it. You know, that 
that that cute part where he says, I guess I heard about original sin. I heard the dude blame the chick. I heard the chick blame the snake. I heard they were all naked when they got busted. And things ain't been the same since. That's such a cool way of speaking biblically. And you can almost hear this guy's voice talking about that. I, I guess one of the things, maybe the reason I bump up against it is because there's, it's it's hard for me to to start because I want to start in so many spaces with the multiple viewpoints and with 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 the imagery that's coursing throughout the song. So, I think it's really interesting what you said earlier about it being a song there to service the narrative because we'll save the other songs that I think do that as well. But I dislike them in part because that's all they feel like to me. Yeah, I think I think that's where I'm at as well. Like this seems to be like putting on putting a big big neon lights. Concept album, concept album, concept album. And I think I find that just a little, a little off-putting, just a little. One thing that occurred to me is, what is this song about? Like, what is, and maybe that's, I, I, I will save my interpretation. What do you guys think this song is about, if anything, or like beyond the purpose and the narrative? What do you think about the- Cows? Bugs? <laughs> Cows? Bugs? <laughs> right there in the title. That's true. That's true. Cows and bugs. Should have Cows and bugs. No. <laughs> Cows and bugs. But no, I mean, let's use some of the frame that Sean brought the last time we spoke, which was that, and it ties back into what Sean, you mentioned about the sort of shift in the pronouns and the ambiguity of who's, talk, who's talking is this theme that people are sort of vaguely aware of what's going on, what's affecting them and the sort of culture that they're in. We talked before about in um, track one, Hornets, Hornets. So in Hornets, Hornets, like, you know, there are all these, people are vaguely aware of the sort of cultural and f- other forces that are sort of affecting them and their lives. And I think that this song sort of takes that and kicks it into fifth gear they got to the part about the cattle and the creeping things said, I'm pretty sure we've heard this one before the cattle and the creeping things are, it's like 500 words into the Bible. It's right away. So you have this character who's, they get to that part or 500 words in to the Bible. And we're at, that's day six of the Genesis story. And at right. that point, at, at finally, at, we're almost done with the creation story. And he goes, you know what? I think, mm, I think maybe I've heard this already i think there's something to that like the characters are both steeped in and not fully aware of this religious force or the force of drugs or the force of of their desires and i think maybe it's a little bit blunt force and on the nose in that way but i also think it's really cool because craig finn is going there with it he's this is literally people kind of in bible study class trying to put together the threads of how they got there and also the threads of this spiritual narrative that they're supposed to sort of internalize and so i think when you look at it that way the sort of shift in perspective that's happening at the same time kind of fits in because you have all these characters who they don't know how they got where they are. They don't know right. how they're supposed to interact with this material. And, you know, any kind of blurry part of your life sort of feels that way when you try and recall it later. You don't know 
where you are. And that goes back again for me to that, the musical organization and the regimented drum beat versus the sort of swirling feeling and all these extra echoes and touches that Dan brought up. So I think, I think it's more, I guess I would say it's more than just connective tissue here. I think it is sort of hitting you over the head with the kinds of material that we're going to work with, but I think that makes it fun. And I think, I think it sort of matches the purpose of the song to be a little disorienting, to be a little bit wild. So I like it. I remember getting really excited listening to this when I was, when I was younger and still, yeah, I, that when it goes from the A part to the B part and the, the trumpets and the, and the keyboards come in, I get really, I find it really exhilarating. So I think there's a lot, lots of like in this one. I'm not really sure what the song is about, but I do know it's not. <laughs> so uh, I, I too went on. Cows. Uh, it's a cows and bugs. And cows bugs. And bugs. <laughs> cows and bugs. But I, I, I know that Mike was bringing this up in the last episode. I went up, I went on, is it genius, genius.com? Yes. There, there are some interpretations of the song that seem very, very literal. Or in another sense, they extrapolate, they, they sort of take license with the lines of the song and craft this entire narrative that, again, I don't really see it there or understand how they got there from these lines of the song, right? So... I, you know, there's a, there's the idea that there's a conversation taking place in a bar, and someone and Holly apparently caught an STD from from Gideon, you know, and 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 again, there are, yes, there are ways of reading that, but I think that there are other ways of reading this as well. I see it as more of a the Old Testament to the New Testament that we're eventually going to get to by the end of the album. It's plague ridden it's there's cattle there's creeping things there's all these all there's adam and eve there's genesis there's all this stuff that's you know that's literally in the old Testament. there's cain and abel it's making overt references to the old testament because we are on a biblical journey a, a biblical in in quotes and scare quotes journey with holly as she eventually gets to later in the album, which is going to be sort of the New Testament resurrection, that kind of thing. So I guess that's where I see it. And I know that seems very, that's sort of a workmanlike sophomoric way of reading that. But again, this is what, this is a song that's just, I, I bump up again. So who knows? I mean, next week, <laughs> I may want to Wait, revisit. <laughs> let me just take a whack at the, like, let's see if I can just say what it's about without going thematic or without getting blown out. This is about, okay, this is about, this is about characters who are in some sort of self-help recovery class that are learning about the Bible, and they're flashing back to their previous lives that are clouded with drugs and sort of degeneracy, and they're trying to learn sort of comically about these stories of the Bible and they're reciting them to each other in these mixed up sort of street hood type of ways, Adam and Eve getting busted. And they're also catching up with each other, but they're not really succeeding. I think in transcending later on, we did some sexy things, took a couple of car photographs and carved them into wood release. Very involved sort of process there. Line. Yeah, really line. good. Some sexy things. 
took a couple photographs and carved them into wood release. Hey, but that's enough about me. Come on, tell me how you got down here in the But that's enough about me. Tell me how you got here. So I think that's literally what this is about is people trying and failing to change their lives because they don't understand what themselves they don't understand any greater purpose either right and you could like and by people you could say because of the way the pronouns operate you could say a generation holly and gideon and anyone else narrating in the song stands for you and you and you and you and me and you we are all the hold steady so right the we of the positive jam right right dan you you offered this question so tell us what you think well it's funny because I t- tend to hate the quiet, like I sort of, it's rock and roll, right? Like who cares what right. the song is about? Right, right, right. And so that's where I was starting. And then I, you know, I jotted down to me what both purpose for the Hold Steady in this album and the song is about how these age old stories are always with us. And last week we came to this sort of hint that perhaps even though Hornets Hornets has nothing explicit, the guy who knows why you came to the door and touching people at the really big shows were potentially Catholic references, but they were barely submerged. I didn't think about them for 15 years. This case, you are getting hit over the head with it, but it's also like, oh yeah, I understand what happened there. And it's, yes, it's lost in translation the same way that running up that hill was, but it's also like a familiarity. Like, oh yeah, I understand plagues, like small town cops. They're and so I don't think there's, I think, Sean, you're probably right that there's... <laughs> what, what someone explains a plague to you, that's the easiest way, Daniel. Daniel's like, well, it's like, it's like tiny, small town cops. Like the, the cops are so small that you can't even see them. And they sort of travel through the air from one person to another. And they arrest the inside of your body and no, put it well, in jail. Well, these characters who are, in theory... And Mike, I think you're right that this is probably the two cups of coffee and 10 packs of sugar reminds me of, I think you brought up at some point, Infinite Jest. And it reminds me of like the, I feel like there's some AA scenes in the book. And that's whatever, that does feel like a very AA or in the hallway talking. But to me, there's these parallels with their lives, but they're also like, they're not quite getting it, as I think you've both said, where... Gideon is ripping pages out of the Bible, which, of course, is cute because they're Gideon Bibles. Usually there's Holly, who's rip, you know, ripping off a necklace from somebody and wearing it with three open buttons, like which is sort of a very. She's not full Catholic here. (laughs) You're not buttoned up all the way, literally. Right. But then what I like about this so much is that it doesn't. So there's not a plot per se or like a moral to the story and in the last paragraph about looking for a way to score seems totally unconnected to and that's where maybe the best argument that this is meant to transition you to other parts of the story but to go back to what i was saying about the vibraphones earlier that's that like eerie sound not the horror house sound but the first time it plays is i guess i heard about the original sin and the second time it plays is right after that took a couple photographs and carved them into water reliefs. And so it's like, these seem like things out of the Bible. These seem like things that don't relate to us at all, but they're still with us. Cain and Abel are still causing trouble. 
Adam and Eve, they're getting busted is continuing to happen. And I really just like, I think it's, so I think it's purpose maybe is to remind you, here's a full injection of religious imagery, which was unique to the whole study and still sort of their trademark, but also it's showing that they're in the, the yes, the whole steady milieu, but the whole, the religious milieu, they're still characters on a biblical scale. And at this early stage, we don't know if they're going to win. Like it's, it, it looks like it's going to end up in four horsemen and wild red visions and so on. And so it doesn't say, you know, and at the end they're trying to score again. And so we don't know that there, this does not yet look like it's going to be a redemptive arc. And so I think it's, Daniel, I think all that is just amazing and fascinating because because it it why why the thumbs up there, Mike? <laughs> well, I agree, but I didn't want to interrupt you, so I just oh, oh it's cool, great, cool. good, no. good. <laughs> two thumbs up. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have your approval, Mike. But 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 Dan, your comments, and I'm I'm going to get really weird, geeky, wonky here. So. I'm a huge fan of Northrop Fry, and I've talked about I talked about Northrop Fry in the previous episode. Fry sort of made his bones as a critic, basically hauling William Blake back into the literary canon. He had been sort of excised there as being sort of mystical, and you couldn't really decipher what he was saying. And one of the central tenets of Blake's sort of understanding of religion and art, he said, "The Bible is the great code of art," meaning not meaning that. The, you know, that every single work is religious. What he means is that that you can see that, that every single story since the Bible is a Bible story, that the Bible as a book encompasses every single genre, whatever genre you, whatever literary genre and even extra literary genre you could conceive of, the Bible has already anticipated. And not just in the sort of stories that get cherry picked out of the Bible, but even the way the, the structure of the Bible the way Dan, you sort of talked about how these stories of Cain and Abel are with us, yeah, and not, they're with us, and not only that, but they're refracted through other literary works. They're refracted through other songs. That it's no accident that the story of Holly and Gideon and the generation of losers and addicts and alcoholics and bar scene people that they go along with is a Bible story, because as Blake would say, as Northrop Fry would say, and I think as Craig Finn would say. Every story is a Bible story, every single one. What one question, quick question on terminology for you guys. Born again, does that fall into do we say that about people who convert to Catholicism or like born? I think of born again usually in the evangelical school. Correct. Is that yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I you can check my catechism here, Mike, but I don't think Catholics get born again. Catholics are already born with the essence and and potential for grace in them. Is it is that right? Yeah, it's an important theological distinction, I think. And I can't recall confirmation class all that well, but this is one of the like schisms for from Protestant and Catholic, where being born again is essential and a focal point for evangelical Christians. And is not really necessarily for Catholics. Although I gotta say, redemption, rebirth, death, and resurrection, it's if you're in Christianity, you're in that world. So it like from a certain perspective, it doesn't really matter. And also 
there are depths and layers of Catholicism and there the arc of of lapse and then return and pro, going prodigal and then coming back is a common Catholic trope. So I don't think it's completely out of it's not completely heterodox to have a born again reference here, even in the context of Catholicism. It never threw me as like, wait, that's an evangelical thing exclusively, especially people in recovery. That in particular, the spiritual, the spirituality of recovery to the extent that I understand it has that aspect to it, whatever your sort of poison is with regard to Christian faith or otherwise. So it never threw me as a more or less a Catholic straight up. But yeah, it is it is a little bit of a it's worth we're checking out. Why do you ask, Dan? No, just it's just it just No, seriously, why do you ask? Why? Why? You're not getting out of this. Yeah, don't try and wave this off. You yes, brought yes. it up. Now, yeah, now you, we're come on. Come on, man. Bring yeah. it. Why do you want to know? <laughs> Quit laughing. This isn't funny. This is serious shit, motherfucker. Man, this is going to be a yeah. long season. <laughs> I'm just walking on eggshells over here. It's, gonna, it's getting longer all the time the more you stall without answering this question. Yeah, I don't have a good answer, guys. It just stuck out to me. as, as not, usually what I, not usually what I hear in Catholicism, but of course, resurrection and everything else. Well, weird how weird it kind of sticks out because it's like, I was seeing double for three straight days after I got born again. Getting born again is like the inciting element for like a yet more ecstatic experience. It's like casually dropping the born again into a broader story, which I think is, I don't know, weird that the the speaker is sort of taking for granted the born again part where normally that would be kind of the focal point. So maybe there's something else about it that stands out. Or maybe I'm just reaching really far, but I'm trying to help you, Daniel. So I, I, I don't think you're reaching because being born again is a phrase that's refracted throughout the album. I, w- I was half dead, but I got born again. I got lost in all the lights. High as uh, hell, which, but which, born again. Yeah. Yep. 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 And of course, I mean, the last song on the album as well. So my the reason I bump up against this song is the reason I, I, I bump up against poets like Ezra Pound because it's just so lyrically dense that it's hard to, you, you don't know where to place the wedge and start unearthing it. You, do, you just, I just don't know where to go. Born again is one thing that the cows and bugs are another. The, the Adam and Eve story is there. The, the hallelujah and Gideon, it's just, it's dense. It's just laying it all out there. And, and again, individually, I think all these themes, we know all these themes are going to be picked up and shaken out by other songs. But this one is like, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of like reading an 18th century novel like Tom Jones, where every single chapter of Tom Jones contains this huge prologue about what's going to happen in, 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 in the novel. And I can think that that's, that's kind of the way this operates as well. Here are the characters. This is what's going to happen, right? And of course, then you read the subsequent chapters and that the guy <laughs> wasn't lying. This is precisely what happened. So. We have to check, but I'm not sure. I. Born again may not, the phrase may not appear on Almost Killed Me. It may be you're, you're, introduced you're right. on Separation Sunday. So I think that's another reason, Daniel, that 
here again, to help you out, here's an answer to your question or Sean's question. Why? I think it, it's crucial to this album and doesn't make an appearance on almost killed me. And I think rebirth is like the thing for separation Sunday. Well, and it's interesting. We talked about, you think about tracks one and two and last season I talked about the whole Rob Gordon from high fidelity about the mixtape and track two, you take it up a notch. And Track one we talked about is an establishing shot. Hornets, Hornets, where they're at a party. We're kind of getting introduced to the characters, but we're not. Even though it's a fuller song than a positive jam, than positive jam, it's not. It's not really digging us into plot. Which again, I would argue that a rock song should be enjoyed fundamentally first. As uh, there's a line to bring up the Kinks again. There's a line in the thirty three and a third book about. Village Green Preservation Society, where he's making fun of Ray Davies' future works in the 70s that were very, he's like, yeah, but you you have to appreciate the subtext. And the author writes, yeah, you can't whistle subtext very well. <laughs> and I, wait, wait, so, 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 so he was impatient with Lola versus Power Man? He was impatient. <laughs> well, he, it was after that. I can't remember what the names, not Schoolboys in Disgrace, but he had like two, a two part album, like two albums that were sequels in the 73 ish era after Muswell Hillbillies, which I think is a great album. So the rock, each song stands on its own, but you don't get as deep in Hornets Hornets. And then, yeah, you're right. You get like dropped off in the deep end pushed off and good luck trying to swim but in cattle the creeping things in cattle and the creeping yeah. things yeah sorry but there's still i think enough driftwood to hang on to for more casually <laughs> in terms of you have craig going again to pop again I, I know i brought it up earlier but the silly rabbit is sort of he likes to reference the kool-aid man the tricks rabbit is pretty a pretty great callback to that Calling back to certain songs, which it's funny that this is the second callback to certain songs specifically, and then bringing up Ebor City, like there's just enough here to like give you a chance to catch your breath of oh yeah, I it cottons onto the familiarity while still engrossing you in here are our characters, here's them in action, here's where you learn what they're like, like they're the types who will still rip off steal things will still hook up this is an example of we talked about in the past craig not swearing on the album but then swearing in con concerts i heard mm -hmm. gideon did you in denver gets a much more direct and graphic <laughs> lyrical read often <laughs> so uh is that worse is the f word better or worse than did i feel like in its own way did is is worse than fucked because it's kind I, of like I agree. I did, agree. That's a thumbs did up. Yeah. Is a yeah. He doesn't put as much lyrical emphasis though on it. He doesn't. He doesn't like get snarly. I think the way he yeah. does in concerts. He and he, some of by the way, Craig's delivery here. But that's enough about me. Tell me how you got down here into Ebor City. Like the, he's dripping with Craig Finnism. And that's another reason he, they, I think to Mike, your point about the screechiness, like, and you can just see him like flapping as he's doing this and like doing all this is, that's maybe another reason to like this, this as a singer, this is as Craig Finn it's, as he got. It's snotty and derisive and 
and angry. All and the super things intelligent. That, all the things that Craig Finn has worked so hard to transcend <laughs> and that I, I wish that he would stick with <laughs> throughout his career. Yeah. Going back to whistling the subtext, I think that there's, this is a fun song for me. And I think the funnest things about it are the rhythm and this re-spinning of this heavy, heavy biblical imagery into just like people people smoking at a bar trying to tell each other these Bible stories in terms they can understand. These kind of dumb criminal hustler type of people trying to filter through the, the weightiest and deepest spiritual texts, at least that they know of. So I think that that's funny and fun and, and, and fits. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, you, you, you just like a light bulb went off when you said, when you talked about, you know, these, these characters, thank you for the thumbs up. Thank you. Thank you. Thumbs because up, dude. It, <laughs> thanks Mike. Because these narrators, the multi-voice narrators in the song are inarticulate and they are, they're literate, but not, literate literate and yet despite this inarticulateness and despite despite this illiteracy they are not culturally illiterate meaning that the stories that they end up telling are stories that we as a culture that they tell these stories actually pretty well you know i mean that story that those couple of couplets about adam and eve that's a pretty damn good description of adam and eve despite their despite the distance that these characters these narrators have between articulateness and yeah, I, I, I think that's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it. And it's like your Northrop Fry, William Blake, Craig Finn, Nerdapalooza, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up is, uh, I think it's like, it, it goes both ways. It doesn't only go that every story comes from the Bible. It's also for this, this song is sort of making the argument that like even someone ripping a cross off of someone else's neck on the subway, even catching up on gossip over coffee in an AA meeting. It's the same as the Bible. It's the same as the biblical stories of Cain and Abel. It's the same as the stories of Adam and Eve. That's where a lot of the humor comes in is that for these people, those are on the, and for, for Craig Finn and sort of thematically for the whole study, they're on the same level. Like the story of an addict recovering is the same story as Jesus's resurrection. That, that's an equal sign. It's not just that it comes from the Bible. It's that it they commute back and forth to each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's, that goes into your like, they're inarticulate, but they still know what they're talking about type of type of thing. It's like that it, it all matters the same amount. It's like yeah. a very horizontal sort of thing. And that's where... Ebor City, which I think we refer to as their Nirvana in the last album, but it's actually clearly where you get sent when you leave Eden, because we get the same right. sound of them getting naked when they got busted and things ain't been the same since. The same sound comes into him being down here in Ebor City, not quite understanding the Exodus. And so the land of Nod, Ebor City, <laughs> it's the same. Yeah. Cows and bugs, folks. Cows and bugs. <laughs> The two other things I want to shoehorn in here are there's a great baseline when half were just visions, half of them were friends from growing through the program with me. There's like this baseline that just kind of crawls up and down. Half of them were visions, half of them were friends from going through the program with me. Later on, we just... 
And the the guitar solo at the end of the song is just is like a cheap trick, joyous. It's almost echoes the hostile mass sax solo, and you could very easily hear this on a horn. But it's just like a it's just a weird it works, but it's a weird and it actually, I guess again, sets up very well into what the next song is. But it's really after all this like dark stuff, it's like here's a spoonful of sugar at the end with this classic ripping solo that is going to take you out of the song. And it ends, unlike most people are DJs. Is that the song where it just cuts right. off and yeah, then where yeah. they're closing with the guitar solo? Here they actually managed to sort of stick the landing. Oh yeah. And yeah. I think that's <laughs> that's sort of thematic for the diff- the if you argue for a progression from almost killed me to separation Sunday, I think what you're mentioning, Daniel, about the additional layers of tonality and musicality, and also the kind of like just figuratively and literally, they actually can can bring it home on this track is pretty, pretty telling, you know. So why don't we use let's use Daniel as a starting point, or let, let's use what he just offered as a starting point. Sort of like those last sort of like observations. So, you know, the fun stuff that you liked, the, like what, what, what's the phrase you use, Mike? The, the final thoughts? What's, the, what's that phrase you use? Stray observations, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cl- cl- Closing nuggets. Closing, yeah, so. nu- <laughs> closing nuggets. <laughs> yes, That's what yeah. we're calling it from now on. <laughs> what, are, what are your closing nuggets? What are your closing nuggets? <laughs> that doesn't sound friend. weird and perverse at all. <laughs> So are we going to Daniel or your your closing nugget? Well, I I thought were were were, were those yours, Daniel? Those, I think those were, those, were mine. those were Daniel's. I, I preempted the closing nuggets conversation and thus prompted it. Okay, I'll give I'll give a closing nugget. So I like to, to sort of personalize things a little bit. And for me, when I was getting into this music at first, about you know, 15 years ago, the big thing for me was like the levels of substance abuse, which I like, I had a very clear like mental hierarchy of alcohol is sort of at the bottom and then marijuana is like another step up and then there are some other things and then there are like the really dangerous things sort of at the top of this food guide pyramid of of drugs. And it really sort of spoke to me, the, the silly rabbit tripping is for teenagers, murder is for murderers and hard drugs are for bartenders. I believed really strongly that there was a place for every single person in this world in terms of like how hard edged a life they were born to live. And I was trying to find my own place in that pyramid. And I hard drugs are for bartenders just really stuck out to me. Murderers for murderers also that they're know your place, know your role. There was just something really about that like relative positioning that has always stuck with me. Murderers for murderers and hard drugs are for bartenders. I think I might have mentioned that before. Yeah, it's it's funny, Mike. You you took my nugget as well. You stole my stolen my, nugget. <laughs> stole my nugget. Uh, because that that line has always stuck out for me as well. That hard drugs are for bartenders. Having known a couple of bartenders during my time. And, and again, what, what's that line? Another level lost to the restaurant. What? What is it to the raids? restaurant? Is it raids? Restaurant raids. Raids so. or rage. I can't remember what it is. But but 
I know I'm very close to a number of people who work in the service industry, specifically at restaurants, and they'll tell you the same thing. It's like, man, we watch you get drunk. That's nothing compared to what we're doing once the restaurant closes. It's just, it's the entire restaurant industry just runs on cocaine and hard drugs. So yeah, that one sort of, I find it interesting that Craig as a lyricist draws, puts rock musicians and rock bands and, and bar bands on the same level, it elevates sort of restaurant people to that same level. I think that's interesting that they both go, yeah, it's a tough, rough life out there for the people who are making, who are a feeding you and entertaining you. So I thought it was a cool line. My other nugget is black and foils, like boils and hail. I'd only recently realized that boils and hail was a plague. And, <laughs> and I, so I'm like the guy that would be like, Oh, I've heard this. Something about this is familiar, you know? Um, but I just, um, it's great. The imagery of this makeshift pipe or whatever you call it. I don't even know a free basing or whatever it is you do with foil and a biblical plague. I just, it's, uh, it's deep and dark and rich and, and scary. And, uh, I like it. Never watched the animated version of the 10 plagues with the Passover story. I'm like, so uh, every every Passover, I feel like I watched. Them. I can't remember what it's called, but it was like they they would yeah. There was just they smoking crack during the, <laughs> oh, during one of them. Yeah. Just the God just rains crack down on Pharaoh. And <laughs> for the rest of it, and Pharaoh's just like in a basement, like losing weight. Go. Like, <laughs> well, I think that we have uh, brought episode two, season two, to a close. Next week, we're looking at track three, which is a Little Hood Rat Friend, easily one of my top five songs of my favorite songs. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Thank you for listening to A Positive Jam, as always. If you're enjoying season two of A Positive Jam, make sure you subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Get in touch with us at Sean Westfall, at M. Brooks Taylor, or at Daniel Shortman on Twitter, or email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. Two quick things. Born Again was not used as a lyric on Almost Killed Me, and I was referring to Preservation Act 1 and Act 2 when I was talking about the kinks and subtext. We'll see you next week, and Cattle and the Creeping Things is awesome, so bump against it more, no matter what Sean says. 